This week on Political Research Digest, Racial Stereotypes in Voting, Obama-Trump and Voter Racialization. For the Niskanen Center, I'm Matt Grossman. White racial attitudes play a strong role in voter attitudes from Barack Obama to Donald Trump, but whites think it's black voters who decide based on race. New research finds a double standard. I talked to Darren Davis of Notre Dame about his new study with David C. Wilson published in Public Opinion Quarterly called The Racial Double Standard Attributing Racial Motivations in Voting Behavior. They find that racially resentful whites think African Americans vote based on race alone. Donald Trump benefited from similar white racial attitudes. I also talked to Randall Swain of Eastern Kentucky University about his new research published in the Journal of African American Studies. Negative black stereotypes, support for excessive use of force by police, and voter preference for Donald Trump during the 2016 presidential primary election cycle. Do people make voting decisions based on candidate views and experiences or on identities? Darren Davis says American voters think the process works very differently for whites and blacks. People seem to reduce very complex decisions to very simplistic motivations to African Americans that are centered around race. You know, my colleague and I, David Wilson, thought it was a, a clear indicator of a racial double standard in which blacks in particular are viewed very differently from other groups. And so this is the nature of the article that there's certain attributions that are being made to African-Americans that are not being expressed toward other groups. And another important finding is that this seems to be driven by racial prejudice or what we consider to be racial resentment. They qualified these views a bit, but still found people thought blacks mainly voted based on race. In the study of racial attitudes, you always have to be concerned about the extent to which people are willing to give you their candid and honest answers. So so we tried to soften the language in, in several of our experiments to get people to give us sort of honest and uh, open attitudes. We know that when you ask about race, there's always a, 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 a threat of social desirability and political correctness that can be associated with uh, asking these types of items in a survey. Some of our um, expectations, we expected to find a double standard, meaning that we expected to find that people would attribute certain types of motivations to African-Americans that they wouldn't attribute to others. We didn't expect to find there to be such large differences. We expected there to be a double standard with African-American motivations. Davis and Wilson expected to find the attitudes extended to other minority groups, but they did not. We expected, uh, based on social identity theory, that perceptions of the outgroup would lead to sort of this uh, outgroup homogeneity in the sense that, you know, people don't see outgroups as complex individuals and that they also proceed to make certain attributions intrinsically about their motivations. You know, African-Americans tend to be sort of the most um, identifiable outgroups that uh, we expected this to occur more frequently in perceptions toward African-Americans, but we also thought that perhaps um, um, other groups would perceive um, outgroups in that same way, uh, particularly with Hispanic voters. But the perception of Hispanic voters in terms of these attributions are not as severe as they are toward uh, African-American voters. They asked about both support for candidates in general and specifically about support for Obama, but found the same results. 
the results were surprisingly consistent for perceptions of African-Americans. Whites thought blacks uh, would have voted for Obama if blacks didn't think that Obama was the, the best candidate. So, so there is surprising consistency across the generic questions, the generic experiments, and the specific Obama experiments. But the attitudes about Obama voting did extend to his white voters as well. It would include both uh, African-American voters and people who were inclined to, to vote Democratic, that, that they were in particularly being uh, pressured to vote for Barack Obama because he was black. The double standard was predicted by Davis's and Wilson's measure of white racial resentment. We started off with about you know, 15 or 20 different measures of, of uh, racial resentment, and we narrowed that down to about uh, four or five. And our measures tend to tap into sort of a sense of, of deservingness of Blacks' demands and also the extent to which those demands come at the expense of white. So we were very attuned to sort of what, what the threat is regarding race. And so this is how we conceive of racial resentment, that, that pretty much there's a, there's a threat um, uh, that whites perceive and that this leads to a, a certain backlash or resentment toward African-Americans. Davis says white attitudes about blacks as a political threat crystallize in their views of black voters. There's a sense of anger um, among whites that is not captured by racial prejudice that is probably better described as resentment regarding the deservingness uh, you know, the threat to certain types of traditional values, but most importantly that, that you know, that whites themselves perceived as, 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 a, as a cost to them. They say some blacks, just like some whites, may indeed vote based on shared racial identity. We do not doubt that there are some African Americans who may actually vote based on race and race only. But for the majority of, of African-American voters, um, race is perhaps a heuristic. It is perhaps a cue, is perhaps a cue the same way that uh, partisanship and ideology and other things serve as heuristics and, and, and different cues and labels. So, so we do not doubt that that actually exists. But in our experiments, um, we didn't ask about those other cues. Um, um, we strictly asked about motivations for voting for the out group. But the history of unsupported black Republicans suggests it's mostly a racial stereotype that blacks vote based on race. People don't generally make that assumption that you know partisanship and partisan cues are very, very important to African Americans. Um, as they are to most other uh, voters. But, but the point of the paper is that people do not attribute such sort of complexity or deliberative or informative voting to African-Americans. Randall Swain says the rise of Donald Trump has to be put in the context of longstanding white racial attitudes. These things do not happen in a vacuum. They all form part of a collective memory that that a shrewd politician could use in a very subtle way to, to mobilize votes and vote support. Swain finds that anti-black stereotypes and acceptance of police violence against blacks predicted Trump's support. During the 2016 presidential primary, voters who voiced support for Donald Trump were 
more likely to minimize racialized police practices, uh, such as uh, particularly as, when it, as, as it pertains to excessive use of force whenever police deal with black Americans. So viewed another way, you know, we could say during the 2016 primary election cycle, Trump voters were more likely to support instances when police use force whenever, you know, they encounter uh, black Americans. And so I, I think that's uh, everything that uh, I, I unpacked in that study. That's the most significant finding. The context was the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement and its protests of police killings. You had the Black Lives Movement that really took off as a result of uh, instances of police brutality, African Americans being killed while in the process of being apprehended. And so, of course, there was a backlash to that and a great, a great amount of uh, debate and discourse around that. That backlash had to do with uh, to what extent. Uh, are the uh, are the deaths uh, and excessive use of force against uh, mostly black men, is it warranted by police or is it truly indeed excessive? Swain says Trump channeled these white racial attitudes rather than created them. This is a, a phenomenon uh, or a, a factor that actually precipitated uh, uh, Donald Trump. Donald Trump was just smart enough to harness it. So anyone, any any candidate or would-be candidate who had the wherewithal to kind of harness it and, and the willingness to harness harness those those sentiments in society would have benefited. Clearly, uh, we cannot say that Donald Trump is in any way, shape, or form, you know, the instigator or the originator. True, uh, he does have a record of being of exhibiting uh, racial animus and uh, discrimination and prejudice against Black Americans, uh, based on the stories that we've heard about you know, about his disposition, his orientation towards just a number of factors that you know, that have come out in the news. And so, when we when we consider that, uh, we we have to first and foremost just keep in mind that that there really is no Donald Trump, really, without a Barack Obama presidency. Uh, in other words, if, if you think about uh, how for a significant segment of American society, the Obama presidency represented the combination of, of years and years of, of hopes and dreams and aspirations by black Americans, white Americans, Americans of all stripes and colors, creeds and backgrounds. But we must also keep in mind that for uh, a significant portion of uh, a different segment of American society, his his uh, ascension to the presidency in 2008 also represented uh, a change in direction for American society that you know that so many obviously were uh, were not really comfortable with in terms of you know demographic socio uh, uh, demographic socio cultural changes. That, that Obama represented. And so we, we kind of see evidences of this throughout Obama's presidency, the backlash to that. And so Donald Trump, again, uh, he recognized it. He uh, uh, kind of in the way that Ringling and uh, Barnum and Bailey, you know, who, who had, a, had, a, had a circus show well, years and years ago, centuries ago, he recognized what the move was, what the, what the desires of the populace was, and he kind of he captured that. The history of law and order campaigns using racial stereotypes goes back a long way. What we see in there is a subtle, a subtle uh, racial cue that basically plays on uh, media portrayals of black Americans as being criminal. 
and Richard Nixon did it. And of course, uh, this is a staple of Southern politics, right? That basically uh, that that there's uh, there's a racialized component to the criminal justice system. And uh, this is verified by the disproportionate number of African Americans who are under the control in some way, shape, or form of the criminal justice system. And so I think this is why Donald Trump went through great efforts to to uh, pass this election in, in law and order time. That's one of the first things that he said uh, when he uh, gave his nomination speech. You know, I'm the law and order candidate, and I'm the one that can fix the problems. I alone can do it. That's a subtle, you know, everything about Trump's campaign uh, has, has a very subtle, and I, I should say, at times, overt uh, racial implications. Swain used measures of general stereotypes and attitudes toward policing, finding them all associated with Trump's support. I used two measures of anti-black stereotypes. Uh, the first measure had to do with notions about African-Americans being lazy, and the other stereotype had to do with notions about black Americans being violent. And and so this is uh this is pretty common and so this is I guess this is why the ANS pilot study um used these questions in their survey. So with these and there there may have been some others, but for me uh these questions were uh, most ideally suited for what I was trying to study. And so I was I was interested to see how these stereotypes uh, interacted with questions about um, African Americans being stopped for no reason by police and police using uh, force more than necessary. He focused on anti-black attitudes, but racial stereotypes of all kinds tend to go together. The research shows now that isms tend to be uh, very, uh, they tend to be very correlated. In other words, people who tend to be, uh, have negative views about one set of racial minorities are going to have the same set of negative views about other racial minorities as well. Although Hillary Clinton did tie herself to the mothers of the movement, Swain does not think her handling of the issue was a major electoral factor. I don't believe that, that the way that Hillary Clinton handled the Black Lives Movement, let's say if she handled it positively, or she could have been more vociferous uh, in supporting it and more um, enthusiastic about supporting it. I'm not sure if that would have would have garnered uh, more votes for her. I, I think that there were just other 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 factors there. And again, I, I just think that for people who were who were inclined to to vote against her um, to vote for Trump, I think there I think there was more reasons to. Uh, it was you know I think it was it was not so much about a vote support against Clinton as it was support for Donald Trump. But I, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know some I think some and maybe Clinton herself might have thought that people who voted for her would kind of consider. Uh, her and Trump, and, and they would decide on her as the lesser of two evils. No, I don't think that was what it, I don't think that was it at all. I think that that, that that people who voted for Trump voted for him enthusiastically. And again, there, there may be a lot of reasons for that, but I don't. Uh, I'm not. I'm not certain that uh, Clinton's handling of the Black Lives Matter was something that was a liability. I think there were other issues with it within her campaign that. Uh, that, that uh, kind of cost her that, that election. Both Swain and Davis found racial views mattered independently of partisanship, but they were also already tied up with partisan differences. 
Davis says Obama and Trump have only extended the polarized pattern on racial attitudes. These partisan differences have always existed with respect to racial attitudes. However, under Obama, uh, contrary to what other scholars may may think regarding this issue, is that those partisan differences can be exacerbated under Obama. So, so we're not doing really anything new. We're not making any new theoretical arguments regarding partisanship um, under Obama. It's just that. Um, the uh, racial polarization under Obama may have um, exacerbated these uh, partisan differences. Swain says he fears that as a result, the Trumpian strategy remains viable going forward. As long as someone will continue to pander to those, those baser, lower uh, sentiments, uh, at least since at least 1988 has shown, 1968 and 2018, uh, it, it can be a, a lucrative uh, and a successful campaign tactic. The question, the question is, um, in terms, you know, for Democrats going forward, is effectively refuting some of that. The only way that you can really be effective to counteract that is to aggressively go out and refute claims that crime is high. Because if you can refute those claims, and unfortunately, it's just a shame that you have to do this to again to dilute or to mitigate the racialized component. But that's what you have to do. You have to disprove. And Davis says these racial attitudes also leave African-American candidates in a bind. Obama certainly understood uh, the complexities of, of race and, and voting motivations and about how people would perceive them. So I think candidates are very astute to the activation of certain types of stereotypes, the uh, inhibiting certain types of mega stereotypes. And I think the Obama campaign was, um, was, was very shrewd at actually making sure that many of the traditional uh, African-American uh, candidate stereotypes uh, remain dormant. There's a lot more to learn. Political Research Digest is available bi-weekly from the Niskanen Center and on iTunes. I'm your host, Matt Grossman. Thanks to Darren Davis and Randall Swain for joining me. Join us next time to find out how the public responds to the costs of paying for war. 